This is a reading from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? This is the word of the Lord. So we're starting a brand new sermon series called Money Talks. And so this is that awkward moment where, oh, I'm going to that church that's going to talk about money. Isn't that all that people, that people at church, uh, some people think that's all that churches talk about. But that's um, something we should be very comfortable learning to talk about because money is extremely important. It's very valuable. It's something that Jesus spoke about in many ways more than anything else. He used money. He used work. He used the economy around him to discuss things. And so we're looking in, uh, uh, for this next four weeks to have healthy conversations about money. We learn a lot from children in regards to our relationship with God. For example, I imagine most of us have seen kids on their birthday when they get presents. They're so excited. They unwrap them. They open it up. Wow, this is amazing. What's next? They're looking for something else, right? What about, I read a book, um, I've actually read more than one book, but uh, this is a book that I read, and I remember being, it was, uh, it was about uh, the differences between men and women, and one of the illustrations it used for helping men understand women was that a lot of times they're in, inside a woman, there's this little girl who still likes to dance and get her father's approval. If you've noticed, little girls like to dress up, and they come out, Daddy, do you think I'm beautiful? We're seeking approval. That's something that's within all of us, and it comes out differently in, in most boys where we're waving at our dad in the stands. Did you see me make the play? So we're, we're seeking something. We are a, a needy people. There are desires that we have, and a lot of times, if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll start to turn and we'll try to fulfill those desires that are God-given in ways that will lead us into slavery that will be captive to something. And money is one of those things that is a danger for a lot of people. We think, if I just had a little more money, then I wouldn't have to worry about this. The truth is, maybe that this for you would be solved if you had more money. It's very simple. If you have X amount of dollars of credit card debt and you get X amount of dollars and you pay it off, that solved the problem. But there will be more problems that come from that. And it's not money that is the issue. But it's this love for money. And sometimes it's not even the money itself that you're seeking. It's what it can do for you. So tonight we're talking about satisfaction. And hopefully by the end of the sermon, we can all, be a, we can all say, we can learn to say and believe, I am satisfied. No matter if we have all the money we've ever wanted or if we're desperately in need of a great uncle to pass away and leave us some money. Thank you. All right, so here we go. So we're going to talk about three things. I've put up two fingers, but we're going to do three things. Um, three things tonight, and, and one of them is going to be that we're seeking contentment. We are seeking to be content, we are seeking to be confirmed, and we are seeking to be confident. And so we'll start with the first one tonight in our talk on money. So the first one is this. We 
seek to be content. This is something that we want. Content means I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to have purpose in my life. This is something that we desire. Practically every human wants this. And we seek this in different ways. How we define happiness changes from from row to row, from person to person, and from culture to culture. We all define this differently. But this is something that we seek. We look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5, the first part, and we see this uh, topic arise. It says, make sure that your character, character, another word here is your life. So it's, it's the makeup of who you are. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Not free from money, right? Free from the love of money. And the contrast is being content, being satisfied with what you have. A lot of times we look to money and we expect and we need that money to meet the needs that we have. We need money to pay the rent for our apartment that we could barely sleep in. Right? We need money to, to provide for the medical bills. We need money to buy groceries. There are needs that we have, and we need money in order to do that. And we can look to money to provide it. The second thing that we look in for money is not just our needs, but our desires. These are the things that we just really want. Not necessarily the things we need, but the things that we want. We desire. We have pleasurable uh, experiences or, or places we want to go, and so we need money to get us there. So there's needs, there's desires, but there's also another category I thought of, which is a good category, not that needs and desires are bad, but a good category. Sometimes we wish we had more money because we want to help other people out more, right? I've had conversations with lots of you, and you want to have more money so you can help other. We want to be more generous with our money, but right now we have so many bills and so much rent and all these things that we don't have money to have a spirit of generosity. And so sometimes we can think, if I had more money, I could be more generous. And so that can lead us to pursue the love of money in wrong ways. But contrasting money with with God, we can see that there is a God who will provide for our needs. We don't have to pursue and love money in order to have these needs provided. In fact, if we are pursuing and loving God, he promises in verse 24 of chapter 12 in Luke Right here, he promises to take care of us. He says, consider the ravens. Those are birds, if you didn't know that. For they neither sow nor reap. They don't plant, they don't harvest. They don't have no storeroom, no barn. They don't store things up for a tough winter. And yet God feeds them. And he says, how much more valuable are you, speaking to people here, than the birds? God says, I will take care of you. I will be the one to take care of your needs. He will take care of us. And he will take care of our desires as well. We see in Psalm chapter 30, or Psalm 37, it's not a chapter, but it's Psalm 37, verse 4, God talks about desires. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the what? Say it louder. Desires of your heart. This is a a wonderful verse that you should learn and claim and and speak over your life because when you are delighting yourself in the Lord first, you're you're pursuing Him, you're taking pleasure in Him. This means that you actually, wait for it, you desire to spend time with Him more than you desire to turn on Netflix. You actually like Him. Go back to the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord 
And when you do this, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this doesn't mean that every desire that you have is of God, but it's saying that when you pursue the Lord, he's going to give you godly desires. He's going to put his desires into your heart. So you'll start to desire what God desires, and when you're doing that, he says yes every time. God loves to tell himself yes. So if he is giving you his desires on your heart, then he will tell you yes, and he will start to change what it is that you're yearning for, and he will provide your desires in in great ways. I learned an interesting thing, uh, and uh, when I I finally finished the book, I was reading about millennials, and I learned a lot about the generation and and the differences between uh, the boomers and uh, the millennials, and uh, I'm a generation X, I'm in the middle, so I think God has us there just to make sure World War III doesn't happen. So um, to, to, to mend the fences. But anyway, I learned one of the beautiful things about the millennial generation is that they love to give. They really do. And so this is something that a lot of people criticize. They say, well, they don't give anymore. They do. They just give differently. And so a lot of millennials, one of the strengths that if unguarded can be a weakness as well, one of the, the differences is they love to give, but they want to make sure that what they're giving to has a purpose. They want to make sure that what they're giving to is going to make a difference. And so sometimes it can lead them to be too selective. But when they do see something worthwhile, they'll almost sell everything to give to it. There's some goodness there. there there's a desire to give and to help others to make a difference. And then, but we see this in this same scripture or what preceded verses 5 and verses 1, 2, and 3. We see how we can make a difference. And look with me in Hebrews chapter 13. As he, he begins the, at the end of this letter, the writer Uh, gives his final exhortation, and he begins the last chapter like this. He says, let love of the brethren, the family, the, the people, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality, not just to the people that are in your family, right? But to strangers. Right now we have one of, uh, one of our church People that are uh, Yeji is serving strangers right now in Greece. And we've had several, uh, uh, quite a few of you go over and serve as well. But it says, do not show neglect, I mean, excuse me, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, by doing this very thing, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners. At this time, a lot of people were in prison because of their faith. And he's saying, remember them as though in prison with them, as you were in there with them, and those who are ill-treated, those who are persecuted for their faith, since you yourselves are in the body. He said, whatever is happening to the least of you in the faith is happening to all of you, that there is one body. And so what's going on over the world, over in the world with our Christian brothers and sisters, it should concern us. And he says, don't neglect doing good and showing hospitality. This are practical ways that you can make a difference in the world. But the difference is, is this. What's the motivation for doing what I'm doing? Is the motivation a, a love for money, a love for me to gain in order to exalt myself, or is the motivation a love for God? If it's love for God, then I can have true contentment. I can learn to be at peace with God and satisfied with God whether I am rich the riches won't ruin me, or whether I am poor, I will not become, become despondent because I lack. 
I will realize that money, no matter how much I have, will never be enough. How much money is enough? More. That's the answer. You always need more. There's no need to pursue money when we realize that we are truly satisfied when we pursue God. We're seeking to be content. Number one. Number two. We seek to be confirmed. We seek to be content in life. And another thing is, we seek to be confirmed. We want people's approval. Even if you're not a people pleaser, something within you, deep down in there, needs approval somehow. We want to be accepted. Money promises that, you know what, you'll feel worthy when you get that pay raise. Not that we shouldn't get pay raises, right? We should get pay raises. But you'll feel better. You'll feel worthy how much money you make. You feel people that make over a certain amount of money feel better about themselves because they make more money. We also feel like I can prove myself finally when I get the promotion at the job and I get the six-figure salary and get up into the whatever's above six figures would be seven. But I know that. But I'm just, anyway, whatever. When I, when I raise up on the ladder and I get into that upper crust, if you will, then I will prove myself. And we also think about status. It's not always just money that you need, but you also need the car, right? You need the location, the right zip code, the right, um, the right part of Manhattan, right? That's where people want to live. So status, being elevated. But here's the thing about money. If you're pursuing those things and you're pursuing it because, uh, through money, the end is always the same. The money will always run out. It will always run out because eventually you're going to die. And you may be able to be buried with your money, but it's not going to do you any good. It's going to be left behind for someone else. Money cannot do what only God can do. But here's what God does instead. He says in this verse right here, Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read the first part again. It says, make sure that your character, your life is free from the love of money, being content or satisfied with what you have. It doesn't mean that you can't pursue more, but he's saying be content with what you have, whether it's much or more. Then he says, for he himself, for God himself has said this, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So what God is saying, unlike money, I will never leave you. Can you say never? Never. I will never leave you. Money leaves you at death. It does you no good. It can do a lot of things before you die, right? You can go to Vegas. You can buy Vegas eventually. But it leaves you at death. But God says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And God says, my presence, I will always be with you. So this gives us that worthiness that we're seeking. You don't feel worthy of God's love? Well, listen to this. God says, my son died for you. Jesus is saying, I gave it all for you. You now, because of him, have new life. First of all, you have life. You've been brought from death to life. And now you have this new life. You should feel worthy as a child of God because no longer are you separated from God, but now you've become a beloved child of God. He looks upon you with favor. You receive the Father's blessing. I was listening to a sermon a few um, weeks ago, and the pastor was talking about receiving a Father's blessing. And it was very powerful. It says one of the best things a father can give to a child is his blessing. 
I love you. I'm proud of you. You have my blessing. And he says one of the most heartbreaking things is very few people actually ever get that. So the good news is if you're a father here today, you have time to give your children blessings. And also the good news is if you're a child here today and you've never received that and maybe you can't receive that anymore from your father, there's a better blessing waiting for you. And that's the blessing of the Heavenly Father looking upon you and saying, I am confirming you. I approve of you. More than just, okay, I guess you can come over. But it's, I look upon you with love and favor and he welcomes you into his family with full rights, full privileges. You receive his blessing. When Jesus was baptized, God spoke and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And when we are baptized in Christ, now the father looks upon us and says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. You want to be confirmed? You have to look to Christ. You want to be proven? Well, Jesus has proven that his resurrection has secured that blessing forever. That when he raised from the dead, that our worth in Christ now has been transferred over from temporal to eternal. That it is good forever. And if you want to keep up with the Joneses, we have any Joneses in here? I don't think so. But if you want to keep up with the Joneses, as far as elevating your status goes, God takes you from an illegitimate child to a child of God. And He puts upon you a a mark of a child of the Most High God, the one true God. You're confirmed by Him. You are approved by Him. And you have a blessing from Him. Your status has changed. You are confirmed in Christ. Money can never bring you that confirmation that we need, but God will bring it. And when you have it from God, you will never start looking to money and the things it brings to bring you what your soul is craving. We seek to be content, and we seek to be confirmed. And the third one is we seek to be confident. Confident. Another word here is empowered, capable. This is what we desire to do. There's a a spirit of independence within us that says, I want to be able to take care of myself. I don't want people to help me. I I deal with this a lot of times with my children. Um, They deal with it a lot of times with me when my teens are trying to teach me something on Instagram or Snapchat. Like, I don't want your help. I'll figure it out. But uh, I actually need their help quite a bit when it comes to Snapchat. But independence is what we want. We want power over our fears. Uh, we also want power over the things in life that, that hinder us. I, I've, come to grow, uh, I've come to be aware of more how different people grow up in different dynamics. And it's much different for a, a poor person to go through many more hurdles than it is for someone who's even middle class or especially upper class to go through this through hurdles as well. There are many more hindrances. And so many times, if you're poor especially, you're wanting to have power over these things that are blocking you from taking that next step towards success. 
Less money tends to lead to more problems. I know Mace and Puff Daddy and Notorious B.I.G. collaborated together and came up with Mo Money, Mo Problems back in the 90s. But um, in their context, they were correct. There are Mo Problems that come with Mo Money. But in what I'm talking about, it's, it's less, less, less money is more problems. <laughs> we get this from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. I like to quote the saints when I, need, when I, you know, when I can. Saint B.I.G. So uh, in the next verse is, So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. So the first verse was, Be content with what you have. And then, um, then now we're at this part where it says, this is what you're saying. Not only is, is the Lord never going to desert me, is He never going to forsake me, but now that we're going to confidently, another translation says, boldly say this, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So God changes our status, as we talked about in the last point, But he also, with that status change, gives us a power change. That no longer are we powerless and poor, but we are rich in Christ. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer helpless. But our Father is the one who owns everything. He has it all. He empowers us. And it says, so we can confidently say, so I'm going to say this phrase, and if you want to, if you feel confident, or even if you don't feel confident, but just repeat after me. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. How many times have you said that today, besides those two? Probably not many. If the narrative of the world around us is speaking to us more than the truth of God's word in us, then we're going to lose more battles than we win. And so we need to start saying these type of things, uh, these promises of God. The Lord is my helper. And when we have issues with apartments, I know some of you are needing apartments. Some of you are needing jobs. Some of you uh, have issues with children. Some of you want children. Some of you have issues in marriage. Some of you want to be married. And so when you're struggling with these things, this is when you need to preach and say and proclaim, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Not just Pastor Daniel or my friend or whatever, but the Lord is my helper. And the second one was this. Repeat after me. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. It's powerful, right? You may have to say it more times than not to, um, to believe it, especially you know, when I first wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, I'm like, I'm afraid of what I see before me, but I keep speaking it, and little by little it changes. But when you face sickness and when you change jobs and when you uh, have life-threatening issues, when you feel threatened by other people, when you face conflict in your relationships, remember, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. God does not give us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. I want to repeat this too. What will man do to me? What will mere man do to me? You guys are great. Now, if you're answering that question and you're watching shows like Game of Thrones or House of Cards, 
you're probably aware of what man could do potentially to you. Those are some dark shows, okay? But what we're saying is, compared to who God is, man is no match for our Father. They may hurt me, they may be able to kill me, but they will not snatch me out of the hands of my Father. The Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Interestingly, the writer of Hebrews is quoting this part, the Lord is my helper. He's quoting Psalm 118, specifically in verse 6 here. And I want to show you in Psalm 18, verse 6, this is what it says in the, in the Hebrew, and this is, he translated a little bit differently, but it's okay, it's the same thing. But it, what it says in the psalm is this, the Lord is for me. Now the writer here is translated, the Lord is my helper, which is the same thing, but isn't it amazing to hear that the Lord is for me? Larry asked earlier, how many of you thought about money this week, and I Pretty much all of us, or in the last 24, 40 hours, whatever you said. I don't listen when he talks much. Um, I'm kidding, I do. Um, but uh, he's like, how many of you thought about money? And I would, I would ask almost the same question. How many of you had the, the distinct thought in the last 24 hours, God is for me? It is so easy for us to think that, that the, the world's against me and that maybe God is not for me. Because things should be going better if God is for me. But the word here says, the Lord is for me, and I will not fear what can man do to me. Another verse that that is very good for us to remember that God is for us is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, those who wait for the Lord, those who have their trust in the Lord, will gain new strength, not weakness. They will mount up with wings like eagles, not run around like chickens. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and they will not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Confidence. This is who we are made in Christ. This is what he gives us, that we learn to be content and we we seek to be content and we have that through God. We, We seek to be confirmed and we have that through him. We seek to be confident. We don't want to walk around weak and defeated and and needy, but we are confident when we are not independent on our own, but we are confident when we are dependent on the Lord. It's when we're dependent on Him when we are truly free. So what do we do with this? Jesus was baptized and immediately was taken by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And He was tempted. One of those temptations in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 Finished, and it was, the, it was the last one in this gospel account. So the third time, it says again, the devil took Jesus, is what him is there, Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Look at this, Jesus. This is all the kingdoms of the world. Power. Talk about being content. You'll have it all. Look at the glory. He showed him the glory. And then he said to him, all these things... I will give to you if you will fall down and you will worship me. And I wonder, before you go to the next one, I wonder how we would respond to that. Sometimes we're tempted to think, man, if, you know, if I hit the lottery or if I got this big inheritance or whatever it is, I could finally have everything. Well, Jesus was offered everything, 
He says, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you everything. And here's his response in the next verse. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And what happened? The devil left him. And behold, angels of God came and began to minister to Jesus. Jesus was given a blank check by Satan and said, you can have everything. He was tempted with all the world had all. All that money could buy is right here for you. All you have to do is compromise and just worship me. And Jesus denied that offer by worshiping the Father and by responding to him with the word of God. So with the power of God's word in Christ's heart, he sent away the tempter. Tonight's big idea is I am satisfied. Another name for God is I am. So for us to be able to say I am satisfied, I am God must first be satisfied. It was this Jesus that gave up all the world had to offer. It was Him who went to the cross, who died for our sins, and who was raised from the dead, that now when we have our faith in this Jesus, we know that we have satisfied God. Jesus did what we couldn't do. We can't work our way to God. I am, God, is only satisfied through Jesus. This Jesus forsook the world so that you and I would never be forsaken by the Father. He gave it up for you. Corporately, as the world goes, and individually, as you, 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 you go. Jesus gave up everything creation had to offer so that we could have a relationship with the Creator Himself. The baptism and the resurrection, the baptism of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus go together that show us that the I Am is satisfied in Christ. So what do we do with it? This is my final part. To live in a state of being satisfied, of saying, I am satisfied, there's probably more things you can do, but there's two that are very clear now, and they're not going to be on the screen. So either remember them or write them down. But here's what we must do in order to live a life of being satisfied. Number one is to praise and worship the Lord. Remember Jesus said that to Satan? He says, you should worship only God. And so what we do with that is it's not just coming to church. This is a hope this is more, this is not the only worship you're doing throughout the week. I hope there's more to your worship than this. This is great. This is where we come together and encourage one another in the gospel. But when we're alone, we can be singing praises to God. We could be reading his scriptures. We could be praying to him. 
um, a, there's a practice called the daily office. It's good where you just kind of sit for five minutes or less if you can or a little bit longer, but you just stop everything you're doing and you just kind of remember and you pray and you can be silent, you can sing, whatever, but you just remember that there's a God who's spinning this world and it's not you. And we need those throughout the day to remind us. One of the great ways to do this to well to worship the Lord is to have a heart of gratitude and to look for victories all throughout the day to give God thanks for. Yesterday was a challenging day for me as I was coaching baseball. And there was some tension that was happening between uh, coaches, and it, it wasn't that great. But I found myself that night praising God for the victories because some really good things happened during that where I saw growth in other people. I saw growth in myself. And I was like, God, thank you so much. That was so different than the last time. And so we look for ways to praise him. But that could have been so much worse. I could have had a wreck today. I could have, the train was late, but praise God, I made it there. I wasn't trapped and had to walk out of the tunnel. Or if I had to walk out of the tunnel, I made it out of the tunnel. You know, but whatever it is, look for ways to praise him and have a heart of worship. The second one is this, to claim God's promises over your life. Stop allowing the, the accusations of the world and the, the, the principles of the world to invade your heart and start claiming the promises of God in your life. And that's what we repeated over here, that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? These type of things are you know, just filled in the Bible. And we need to claim these promises over our lives. Praise God. Worship Him. Keep Him first. And then claim His promises over your life. You see, money will forsake its promises. It will make lots of promises to you. If you do this, You'll have this. But the Lord will never forsake His promises to you and me. So when we claim His promises, we will walk victoriously with Him, and we will be able to say with a big smile on our face, I am satisfied. I have the Lord. He is my helper. I am not afraid. What can they do to me? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I thank you so much for giving us promises that we can build our lives upon. I thank you so much that you give us a chance to surrender our lives daily, moment by moment, to you. And to proclaim, as we surrender ourselves to you, that we are satisfied. Father, for those of us here tonight who are not satisfied with you, I pray that you would remind us quickly of how wonderful you are. And how only... You bring us life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us more than we know. And I pray that you would give us an opportunity to, to receive that love in greater ways so that we can respond to you with greater worship. In Jesus' name, amen.